You have almost certainly heard the name of Genghis Khan before, but what about his descendants? Well, another famous name you may have heard is Kublai Khan. However, there's another one that you probably have never heard, and it's not another man in the family. Katalun was Genghis Khan's great-great-granddaughter, and her father was Kublai Khan's nephew. She had the blood of greats in her veins, but she set herself apart from them in her own ways. Not only was she an amazing warrior, but she was also an undefeated wrestler. She may not be as polished as others that we have covered, but she certainly is a gem. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Gems of History podcast. It's just me today. Just me, your host, Jacob Shop. Evan abandoned me once again. He texted me and he said, Hey Jacob, you suck. I'm going to go states away from you so that I don't have to be with you for this episode. No, he actually didn't say that. He's, he's gone. You know, he's on a work trip right now, so he's kind of busy, so figured... Hey, why not? Let's see if I can uh, host this thing by myself. So bear with me on this one. I'm not sure how it's going to go. But I am hoping that our story today will kind of speak for itself. And I'm not going to have anyone to banter back and forth with on this one. So it's just going to be straight facts the whole time. So I hope you guys don't mind that I do this one on my own. I hope it turns out to be an informational and still fun episode. I think the story that we have today is a great one. As I mentioned in the intro read, we are going to be talking today about Katulun, and she is a, a pretty badass chick. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to find a consensus story on her life. She's kind of got a lot of really fanciful tales written about her and i mean it kind of comes with a territory because the main writer about Cataloon's life was marco polo and i mean he's a writer so it's not like he didn't ha he, he didn't really have any reason to not embellish his stories i guess you could say but i mean he did give us pretty much all the information that we have on her uh, along with a couple other historical writers but for me personally, the information that I got for this episode comes from a few sources. I kind of culminated all of these stories together, so I hopefully could get a good good summary story of her life. But the websites that I used were rejectedprincesses.com, badassoftheweek.com, and historycollection.com. So I kind of took all of those throw them into this story and hopefully we can kind of get a good overview on what her life was like and if you're new here we have been doing women all of the month of january so you can go back and listen to the other three that we've done but yeah today's gonna be a little shorter just a quick highlight of this woman in history because as i mentioned she's pretty sick so for those of you who aren't familiar with the mongol empire uh, the story of that empire is kind of essential to the environment that Katulun grew up in. And it's a pretty crazy story in and of itself, but we can go and cover that a different time. I'm just going to give you a brief summary of the Mongol Empire 
at the height of its power under the rule of Genghis Khan, or as uh, Dan Carlin from Hardcore History likes to call it, Genghis Khan. Uh, under his rule, the Mongol Empire was the largest contiguous empire in human history. So, I mean, th- think of that. You're the ruler of the biggest empire in the history of humankind, and you're just a singular guy kind of running the show. That is, to say the least, a power trip of epic proportions. Landmass-wise, the empire stretched from China in the east all the way through the Middle East and into Europe in the west. And he made a good headway into Europe for how big the empire was as a whole. And Genghis did the job of uniting all of the various nomadic tribes of the Mongols under one single banner and then unified them into a singular fighting force. I think that that is one of the wildest parts of his story because, you know, I don't think nomads necessarily like to change up their lifestyle and begin to settle into a role where they're governed. So for Genghis to be that powerful of a figure that he could unite all these people, it's pretty crazy. And I mean, granted, they didn't give up all of their nomadic lifestyle. They still went and made their way through the continent as they went and burned and raped and pillaged and did all of that fun stuff. I mean, they, they were pretty brutal. Speaking of that, they're, they're not just any nomads, you know. These are intense warriors. The Mongol people were known as one of the most intimidating and fierce warrior tribes or clans, whatever you want to call it, in history. And for an example, Genghis Khan once conquered a nation known as the Khawarizmid, I hope I pronounced that right, empire. And instead of just taking the land and the existing infrastructure, you know, you putting it under his rule, keeping it for his people. No, he decided to burn the entire thing to the ground and kill everybody in the government that once ruled there. And he didn't stop just that. He went on to divert a river to have it run through the old emperor's birthplace in an effort to destroy his origin point off the map completely. That is an insane thing for someone to do, but that just shows how intense and fierce these Mongol warriors were, especially Genghis at the top of them. And a lot of the other Mongol people shared these same warlike traits and embodied them and took them on for themselves. But Genghis, he lived decades before Katulun was even born. And after he was gone, the Mongol Empire was almost immediately thrown into disarray. And by the year Katulun was born in 1260, civil war was looming on the horizon for the entirety of the Mongols. It, was, um, it wasn't immediate. There was a little bit of time afterwards. But yeah, when Kublai Khan took over as Khan, there was opposition to his rule, as with Anytime in this period of history. And the reason there was so much animosity amongst the clan 
was because there was an ideological difference between certain groups, which weird, that never happens in history ever. But some of the Khans, like Cthulhu's father, Kaidu, he wanted to continue the old ways, the old traditional style of Mongol life, you know, with horseback riding, shooting. He wanted that, the essence of that nomadic lifestyle to take the front and center role again in the clan in general. As I mentioned earlier, nomads don't really like to change up their lifestyle very much, but some of them did want to. It wasn't this nomadic style wasn't what everyone wanted anymore. And the other contingent, which was led mainly by Kublai Khan, which, if you didn't know, just a side note, Kublai Khan is also a super sick hardcore band. Uh, if you want to look them up, you have to look up Kublai Khan TX, because they got into a legal battle with some like 80s cover band, and it's a whole thing. But yeah, go look them up if you're into hardcore metal. Uh, but Kublai Khan... He wanted to lean more into the politics and the governing of a more modern style empire instead of that nomadic lifestyle. And for a warrior people, I'm sure a lot of the Mongols kind of dozed off when Kublai Khan was preaching the benefits of changing their way of life. Because, you know, it'd kind of be like him walking into a room and being like, guys, come on you got to work with me here. We can have courts and an actual judicial system instead of just massacring our enemies. Like, yeah, that guy over there, Cormand, he he did that the other day when a 12-year-old stole his horse. So we can't be living like that. Plus, look at all these cool purple robes. We could wear these when we go talk to those European dudes. It Doesn't that sound like a good time? And I'm sure that wasn't met by everyone with a huge applause but it did go over well for some of them so now we had these two factions these two different ideological factions one wanting to stick with the no bad style and one wanting to modernize a bit and you know what happens when two groups of people who love to fight when they have ideological differences large enough to split the largest empire that the world has ever seen you know what happens then yeah they go and fight with each other and this wasn't going to be a short conflict. It was going to last for about 30 years, which I get, there's been longer conflicts, but in the grand scheme, that's a pretty long war. This is what Cataloon was thrown right into the middle of. She was born into the family on the nomadic side. Uh, her father was Kaidu, who was the one that was promoting all of these nomadic lifestyles. Being born into that tradition, she learned how to do all the things that they did. So she learned how to ride horses, shoot bows, fight in hand-to-hand combat. So she grew up in a very masculine society. But at the same time, I know you're probably thinking, ah, the 13th century, what a great time for women. I'm, I'm sure Cataloon was totally fine when it came to bodily autonomy having independent decision-making capability without men getting in the way. But honestly, for the Mongol Empire, that's not terribly far off. I mean, it's still the 13th century, so it's not great. But women in the Mongol Empire were helping to run cities while the men were off fighting. They helped build public works. 
and they had to help run it just in general the massive empire that Genghis Khan had left. There was also a sort of like Mongol Congress, if you want to call it that, that existed at the time. It was known as the Kurulurai. Kurulurai. Say that five times fast. And women even sometimes had seats on this council as well. But the most important thing that was different than a lot of the European countries specifically was that the women, they would fight with the men in these armies. Not all of the time, but a lot of the times they would. They were warrior people, so it's going to happen that some of these women take on those roles, those warrior roles, and help to fight with the men. And one of those people that eventually grew up to fight with these men was Cataloon. And as a young girl, she had to deal with 14 older brothers. That is a lot of testosterone in one room. She was the only girl in a group of 15 kids. So that is a very interesting scenario to be born into, especially when your father is promoting a lifestyle of shooting, burning, and taking what you need to survive. In, in a few words, God bless her soul. <laughs> her name supposedly translates to either bright moon or all white, depending on what you translate from. But this innocent sounding name definitely did not mean that she wasn't every bit as badass as the boys were. It was said from an early age, she didn't really like to do girly things, but wanted to do pretty much everything that her older brothers were doing. And her father embraced this attitude and encouraged her to continue embracing her masculine side, which I'm sure he was probably super happy about for what type of people they were. And apparently, she pretty quickly surpassed her male counterparts at most of the things that they did. It was said that her horses were faster, most partially because I mean, she's slimmer than her brothers were, so they're not carrying, like, 250-pound men. Uh, she was also a devastating archer off of these horses. That was one of the biggest things that they did, where they were good with bows. And on top of that, she was every bit as strong physically as the men that she was bound to meet on the battlefield. And that's going to be her calling card for the rest of her life. According to Marco Polo, who... I like to call history's greatest travel blogger, Cataloon was absolutely terrifying on the battlefield. And Polo went on to state, quote, Sometimes she would quit her father's side and make a dash at the host of the enemy and seize some man thereout as deftly as a hawk pounces on a bird and carry him to her father. And this she did many a time. End quote. So basically what he's saying is she just gallops out of the line, crosses the battlefield, goes over to the enemy line, snags a guy, carries him back to her father, and that guy is just out of commission for the rest of the time. So I'm sure some of the guys out there who are listening or who like to get, you know, manhandled by a girl are probably totally into this idea. But think about this from the battlefield standpoint on the opposite side. So you're fighting under the new Khan of the Mongol Empire, 
and the Mongol Empire in general is known as the fiercest and most brutal warriors in the history of the world at this point. All you've known for a while is how to fight and conquer. But then out of nowhere, a lone woman charges out of her ranks into your ranks, strong arms a man off his horse and just drags him away. If I was, a bat- if I was out there on the battlefield on the opposite side, I would be absolutely speechless. It, not only is this a crazy technique for dispatching a powerful opponent, but think about how scary that is for an army to witness that. It, it would be like two guys talking. It's just, hey, Cormand, I know you just killed a 12-year-old the other day for stealing your horse, but I think that just makes you a pretty fierce guy. Oh, hey, look at that. The other army's sending an emissary to communicate with us. Oh, wait, is that a woman? She's coming right for us. Hey, lady, huh? Oh, shit. Cormand, wait. Where are you taking him? Um, guys, what just happened? What the, what the con just happened? And then your good friends are just gone. That's terrifying. I'd be a little thrown off by that. So, yeah, you could say that Cthulhu was a force to be reckoned with on the battlefield, to put it simply. But it wasn't just on the battlefield that she excelled, because... Th- the one thing that she is known for mainly is the fact that she was such an outstanding wrestler. In the Mongol culture, apparently wrestling is a huge thing. She kind of got into the game before women's wrestling really existed. She would dress like the men and challenge the men to fights. And you remember how I said that she had 14 older brothers? Uh, that's kind of where I feel like this comes into play a lot. According to HistoryCollection.com, Mongolian wrestling consists of two opponents grabbing onto one another's arms and using their body strength to knock the other person over. So pretty simple. You just got to get them to the ground. According to reports, Kataloon was supposedly quite tall, and she trained her muscles enough that she could face off against any man in the Mongol world. That is wild. And this would a hundred percent come in handy for her because once she reached her late teens you know she's getting into the age where she start finding a a guy to settle down with you know maybe your father finds you a guy who can help your political aspirations or more specifically his political aspirations and then you could get married to him so i mean her father kaidu probably came up to her and said something along the lines of, hey, maybe you should try dating one of these guys and, like, get married to one of them, maybe. Remember when I said that women had more autonomy than usual? Well, some habits, they take a little while to shake off. In the Mongol culture, women weren't usually allowed to choose their husbands. This was the job that the father would take. They would decide for their daughters who they would marry. Meanwhile, men, on the other hand, could have as many wives as they chose, and could pick their wives. So, a little difference in the societal structure there, from the women having a little more power. But, Cataloon, being the intense and strong woman that she was, told her father that he wasn't going to pick a husband for her. Because she reasoned that her 14 older brothers got to choose who they married, and she could beat all of them up 
So why wasn't she worthy of choosing her own husband? And I mean, this makes sense. The Mongols prided strength over pretty much anything else. Perhaps it was the fact that she was a great warrior and he respected that. Or perhaps it was the fact that Katalun was said to be Kaidu's favorite child, or probably a mix of both. But he actually allowed her to make the decision for herself. Kind of. He decided that he was going to set up a competition in combination with his daughter's wishes. And that competition was, any man from anywhere in the world could come and challenge Kataloon to a wrestling match. If they win, they would be married to her. But if they lost, they would pay the entry fee of 100 horses. Now, this sounds a bit far-fetched, but according to Marco Polo and corroborated by other historians like Rashid al-Din, this actually happened. So by the end, I'll let you guys guess how many horses Cataloon had. I'll, I'll pause and let you guys gather your guess. Alright, you got a guess ready? Well, if you said 1,000 horses, perhaps, you'd be wrong. By the end of her wrestling challenge, she was said to have 10,000 horses. Take this with a grain of salt, because as RejectedPrincesses.com points out, 10,000 in these types of old historical texts is kind of like a catch-all for saying like a hell of a lot. So it may be a bit over the top to say exactly 10,000, but needless to say, she had an insane amount of horses. She won every single match that she participated in for this competition. This was kind of a double-edged sword for Kaidu, because, I mean, on one hand, he was immensely proud of his daughter for bringing the family so much respect, and not to mention they now had a metric shit ton of horses, but at the same time, his daughter is not getting married to anybody, so take what you can get, I guess. By the end of it, some even said that Kaidu believed that Katalun deserved to become the next Khan more than any other man did. One of her most famous matches was recorded once again by Marco Polo, and according to the story, a wealthy prince from a neighboring kingdom came around, and he started flaunting the fact that he had a lot of money. He brought a full caravan of servants, as well as some of his most beautiful and healthy horses, a full 1,000 of them by some accounts, which were the best that had ever been brought to Kaidu's kingdom. This guy was in his early 20s, he was very good looking, and word began to spread that this cocky suitor might be destined to be the future husband of Cataloon. The fight was scheduled, and apparently he was so well-liked by Kaidu and Kaidu's wife that he asked Cataloon to just throw the match so that she could marry this cool, rich husband. But of course, being the independent woman that she was, she wasn't having that. So she decided to say, hey, set up the wrestling match. If he can beat me, I will happily marry him. So on the appointed day, she went out and got ready to wrestle this man just like she would any other potential suitor. They locked arms in front of what is, by all accounts, a massive crowd of people. 
from both Kaidu's side and apparently people from Kublai Khan's court were there. Marco Polo was there. He's the one that gave us the story. But everyone was going crazy, ready to see this insane match where she might actually lose. So the two struggled in the ring for longer than any other person had survived against her. But by the end, as with all the other matches, Cataloon got the upper hand and slammed this guy to the ground. He was no match for her. But at that point, the crowd went completely dead. Everyone began to throw up the hashtag forever alone for the undefeated princess. They thought at this point, she's never going to get married. It got so bad that rumors began to spread that perhaps the reason she wasn't getting married to anyone was because maybe she was getting it on with her dad or maybe with her cousin. But as with all these types of stories, most of this probably isn't based on fact. So who knows? Due to these stories possibly tarnishing the family reputation, some sources do say that Cataloon decided to settle down with someone, but there's very different reports on who she settled down with. It's not really certain if it was someone noble, if it was just some guy that she decided, hey, I need to get a husband to quell all these rumors, but he never beat her at wrestling. That much we do know. I mean, some sources don't even say that she actually got married, so perhaps she was single her whole life. Whatever the truth is, most say that if she got married or not, she did continue to fight alongside the armies and won even more battles after this whole competition stuff died down. And this may even be a reason why she didn't want to marry in the first place. I mean, you can't really fight as well if you're getting pregnant, so maybe she just wanted to stay on the battlefield and avoid that eventuality. But eventually, her father Kaidu was on his deathbed. And while he was dying, he, she was in her early 40s, and Kaidu said, maybe I can install Kataloon as my successor. After all, she's the strongest. All of the soldiers in the army respect her. Whether it was her choice or her father's, she didn't ever inherit the title. I think there's probably something to be said that she had 14 older brothers who probably would have had a big issue with her taking the spot as Khan instead of them. It even went as far as there was talks that the brothers had plans to assassinate her because they were so afraid of the fact that she might take over instead of them. However, at the end, we don't really know the truth of this story, because the life of Cataloon kind of slips into an obscure mess at this point in her life. Historycollection.com, on one hand, says that she was killed before she could become leader, while RejectedPrincesses.com says that she died five years after her father's death from unknown circumstances. So who knows? But whatever the case, she never inherited that title from her father. But either way, she died a most likely badass death because she was doing the one thing that she loved most of her life, which was fighting or planning to fight. So whatever the case, it was probably a pretty epic death. After she died, as with her story fading out at the end of her life, her life story kind of disappeared for a while. But in, when the early 1700s rolled around, a Frenchman named 
Francois Petit de la Croix, like the water, was putting together a bio on Genghis Khan, and he wrote a story based on the life of Cataloon. It was eventually called Turandot, but it was obviously changed a bit from what her actual life story was. Because instead of the wrestling to get married, the princess in the story wouldn't marry unless the suitor could solve three riddles. So apparently she was just a bridge troll from Monty Python. But the true story of Cataloon is, in my opinion, far cooler and more badass. So I think it should be told how it actually is, which is how I've tried telling it here today. And for me personally, I know that I would much rather meet a woman who tells riddles than to meet the real Cataloon because she was fierce and awesome and would likely have killed me. So I'm going to say that Cataloon is way more of a cool girl in her own story than in the stories written about her, other than Marco Polo's, because this was actually true. But yeah, that is the life story of Cataloon. As I mentioned, it's a a little bit shorter. There's not a ton of detail information about her life. For a nomadic people, they didn't really write a lot of stuff down, go figure. But hopefully, that gave you a picture of who this wrestling goddess of the Mongol Empire was. I think she's awesome. But hopefully, I did an okay job as a solo host this week. I know we usually have a co-host with me, but... Figured I'd try out this whole solo hosting thing one time and see how it went. And it was kind of nice, because I got to sit on my couch in my pajamas. I just had a great meal of teriyaki chicken, so I am completely comfortable. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Now I'm going to have to try and do Evan's job, which is plugging our social medias. So if you want to, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. Uh, Twitter, we are at gems underscore history. Instagram, we are gems of history podcast with little underscores under or in between each word. Uh, Facebook, you can join us in our Facebook group. It is the Agora Gems of History discussion. And then TikTok and YouTube, we're just gems of history podcast. You can go find us there. I've been trying to do little YouTube short videos and tiktoks every friday for whatever happened on that day in history i just pick an event and see what happens do a little video so if you want to follow us go ahead we are very contactable but that concludes our month focusing on some of the badass women from history as i mentioned if you haven't listened to the other ones go back and listen to those because there's a lot of really cool stuff out there i think that's really all i got for you guys So thank you guys for listening. Let me know how I did on this solo extravaganza Gems of History podcast episode. Look forward for us. We have two more episodes. Well, one more episode, and then the next one will be episode 100, which is very exciting. I've never, I never thought we'd get this far, honestly. So it's pretty cool. But yeah, join us for that. We will be having that coming up pretty soon. Until then, everyone have a great week this week. and. Stay polished out there.